All right, good morning, Journey Church. How you doing this morning? Good, good. I want to say uh, a big welcome to all of those in our overflow room. If you're in our overflow room, just pat yourself on the back. Say, I'm, I'm a lot better than those people in the other place. So that's you. So go ahead and do that. Um, we're thankful for you guys. Let's go ahead and pray today, and then we'll get going. God, we thank you that we could, I, I could just tangibly feel your presence today. And Lord, I just thank you that you are not done with us yet. No matter how far we think we've come, no matter how far we think we've strayed, you are not done with us yet. You have plans for us. You have plans for for our future that are good, that are hopeful, and that you want to do something big in our lives. And we just declare that from the onset right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting a new series today called Revival. And uh, before we get into that, I'm going to just say something that I think is important to set up where we're going today, and, and it's something that I often wrestle with, and I often wonder, at least from time to time, I'll wonder if the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today, if, if the reason, um, maybe even that I'm preaching today in, in front of you is because someone else didn't say yes, and I wonder that. I, no, I really wonder that from time to time, because I look at my life and I know I'm not the most qualified person to do this. I mean, I have, uh, some of you may not know, I, I basically have a 10th grade education. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't do any of that stuff. I got thrust into ministry at a very young age, very unprepared. Um, I, but I just said yes. I just said, God, whatever you have. I said yes. When, God, when somebody asked me to preach, I, I didn't know how to preach. I just said yes. But I often wonder if, if the reason I'm here is because someone else didn't say yes. And I know that God has big plans for every single person here. And let me just say that. I know that God has had big plans for every single life. How many of you guys know that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord? God has big things for your future. How many of you guys believe that? But I also know this. I also know that, that just because God has plans for your life, it does, how many of you guys know that everybody doesn't say yes to God's plan? But how many of you guys also know that God is a big God and God gets done what he wants to get done, right? And so if there's somebody who doesn't say yes, then God will find somebody who will say yes. And that's important. I want you to think about that right now. Because as we get into this topic today, that yes is going to become very important. But what I want you to do right now is I want you to think about something that happened 70 years ago. Can anybody think of something that happened 70 years ago? You might have to go in your mind or, or 70, 80, 100 years ago. You know, maybe you can think of, of World War II. Maybe you can think of some of those historical events. How many of you guys kind of got something like that in your mind? And, and for some of us, that's easier to remember. For some of us, it's, 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 it's not. And for me, whenever I think about something 70 plus years ago, I don't know if you're like me, but I think about it in black and white. Anybody ever do that? Because that's what I see when I see a record of that generally. Because it seems so far ago, so long ago to me. And that, that number is important as we get into the story that we're going to look at today. And it's, it's found in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So God stirs the heart of this king named Cyrus to fulfill a prophecy from a prophet named Jeremiah. How many of you guys have heard of Jeremiah? There's a book by his name. And he is a prophet. 
So what is this prophecy that's happening here, that's being fulfilled? Well, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, and we can see the actual prophecy. This is rewinding the tape 70 plus years when Jeremiah gave this prophecy. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, here it is, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back into this place. What's he talking about? Well, many of us are familiar with the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach, Abednego. How many of you guys have heard those names before? Remember the story when King Nebuchadnezzar, he came in about 605 BC and he came in to the land of of Jerusalem, to the land of Israel, to the land of Judah, and he began to extract the, the influencers, the culture makers, the difference makers, the young, the bright, the ones who had good futures in front of them, the the culture makers, and he took them out of Israel and he brought them in as slaves into Babylon. And he had a couple different purposes for this. One purpose was to remove any influence and any uh, hint of God in the land of Jerusalem, if he could, by removing those people. And then secondly, he wanted to bring the best and the brightest to his country so that he could re-educate them in the ways of Babylon. Now, Babylon was not a good culture. It was a worldly culture, a sinful culture. It represents a worldliness that we know of today. And so you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we, many of us know the stories. How many of you guys know the story that Daniel, he got brought in there, but he had a conviction that he wasn't supposed to eat the same food as the other people. And he had this 10-day test, see if I look as good as the others after these 10 days. And, and, and we know of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who when there was an idol that was set up and the music was going to play. How many of you guys remember this story? The music, whenever it played, they were all to bow down to the idol. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not bow. And they got thrown into the fiery furnace. But how many of you guys know there was a fourth man in the fire, right? Praise God. And so, so we know these stories. This was all happening in this land of Babylon. And they, they were taken out for, for 70 years. We know Daniel was in the lion's den, that he was thrown into the lion's den for praying to God. And, and, and God delivered him. And all this had happened over 70 years. And so here we get to this, this, this reign of King Nebuchadnezzar who'd been ruling with an, an iron fist. In fact, he went back 20 years later after 605. He went 20-something years later, and he went back, and he just destroyed the temple. He destroyed uh, most of Jerusalem because he wanted to. <laughs> and so there they were, people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in the land of Babylon, but they were like second-class citizens. Even though they prospered and, and it was a prosperous area, they, they still were there as slaves and trying to integrate in society. But over time, they began to drift into society. But then something happened. Persia came and attacked Babylon and took over Babylon. And that's where King Cyrus that we read here, he takes over And Persia was one of the greatest empires in all of world history. Something like 40-something percent of the known world they occupied at one time. Some say it's the largest empire that, that will ever be. They were a huge empire. They were prosperous. And King Cyrus was different than Nebuchadnezzar. See, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to crush and control the people of God, but King Cyrus here, he does something where he says, you know what, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to allow you that, I've, that Nebuchadnezzar extracted, I'm going to allow you to go back to your land. In fact, I'm going to allow you not just to go back to your land, but I'm going to allow you to go and rebuild everything. And in fact, I'm not just going to allow you to go back and rebuild everything, but I'm going to finance the whole thing. 
How do you guys know this was like an amazing turnaround of events? And so we see that here in Ezra chapter 1 verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he wasn't too much exaggerating about that. He, was, he owned it all, it seemed. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. This is strange. And, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all the people, may his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and beasts, and besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. He's saying, I'll finance the whole thing. In fact, I'm even giving offerings towards it. How many of you guys know this is amazing, right? This is like a turnaround of events. So now the people of God are free to go and be the people of God in the land of God once again. This is amazing. They're free. But there's a big problem. And the problem is this. 70 years. 70 years have gone by. And for them, the people of God, if you're there in that place at that time, you're thinking, oh, I've heard the stories. Grandpa told me about it. Great-grandpa told me about when they were taken out. And maybe for them, it felt like it was in black and white. <laughs> it felt so far back, they'd built a life now. They'd built a life. In fact, they'd actually been encouraged to, if you read more prophecies from Jeremiah, encouraged to build houses and take wives and to do all this stuff because they were going to be there for 70 years. And so there they find themselves in the prosperity of Persia for 70, or now the Babylon, now Persia, which is a very prosperous land. And the truth is, some of them wanted to stay. Then rose up the heads of the father's houses, Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go and rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Not everybody went. You can see that in other places. Prosperity of Persia stands in the way of a revival in Jerusalem. What was the difference between those who stayed in the prosperity of Persia and those who risked it all on revival? And let me just tell you before I give you that answer, we face a very similar crisis. Because we've heard stories of God moving in the past. We've heard stories of God changing people's lives. We've heard stories of revivals. We've heard stories of, even as we read in the New Testament and we read different places in Scripture, we've heard stories. But sometimes it can seem like it's black and white to us. Sometimes it seems so far away, so disconnected from our actual lives that we would rather stay in the prosperity of the position of our current life than to risk something on revival that God wants to see. What was the difference between those who stayed and those who went? The difference is found right there in that scripture. Everyone whose spirit God had stirred. See, there were some people who God stirred their hearts. They weren't comfortable in their comfortableness anymore. See, God was stirring their hearts. What was happening? I just described this as a personal revival happening on the inside of them. And I don't know where you're at today. If you find yourself comfortable right there where you're at, you know, that's, that's fine to a degree. But you have to ask yourself in your, your, your comfort, is God still stirring my heart? Is God still stirring my heart for something? Here's what revival, I'll define revival just very simply. It's coming awake 
to what God has done and what God is doing now. It's simply coming awake to that in such a way that you say, I'm willing to risk it all on whatever God wants. It's simply looking around and saying, God, what are you doing today in this generation and how can I be a part of it? But some of us are so comfortable in the prosperity of Persia that even when we get set free and even when we have an opportunity and even when God's wind is behind our back pushing us towards it, we would rather stay in the comfort than risk it. And so I want to challenge you today and I have a very simple message for you today and it's this, we still need revival. We still need revival. We don't get beyond the need to understand what God has done and what God is doing and risking our lives towards that end. We need revival. We need God's spirit to stir on every single person here. We need God's spirit to stir on the inside of us like, he, like maybe he never has before. You see, there's a temptation in revival to look back at a time and think that God's going to recreate that. Sometimes he does. Most of the time he wants to do a new thing in you. But some of us are so comfortable with our current life and the way that God did it once that we don't have an opening in our heart for what God wants to do that's new. And so God wants to do something in our hearts today. He wants to do something. And I, I experienced just, a, just the tip of the iceberg of that with our teenagers last week when we went to the Bold Conference. We had the Elevate Bold experience, and I got the privilege of going with our teenagers and kind of having a front row seat to see what God is doing. And I saw teenagers, many of your teenagers, God stirring their hearts. I saw many yeses happening. And, and so I want to just show you just a little recap of that event. And, and some of you guys might recognize, recognize some of the kids in there. But I want you just to kind of catch a little bit of that. And just imagine what God is doing in these teenagers' lives. Let's watch. that you never imagined that you would go. I'm going to give myself to you, which means that I will seek with all of my heart to follow your work. I've made my decision. I've made it the day I raised my hand in bold conference. If I fill my life with the dreams 
a God and care about what He cares about, then I'll enter into eternity and I'll have stepped into the dreams of God. We're going to declare His glory every step to our eternal inheritance. We want to be those that are bold in love. wild for the Lord. Be crazy. Dig deep. You don't have to be perfect. But I pour out my life on the God you see. I pour out everything I have on God. And what, what's in my head and my heart is not my dreams, but it's God's. No, God's got a dream for Yeah. Let, let me just be clear. Revival is not a service. But here's, revival happens when someone says yes. See, remember, again, I, I wonder if there's something that God is having you do or wants you to do that he just needs a simple yes. And what I saw in these teenagers is I saw them saying yes. In fact, I'd get a text at like 1 in the morning saying revival is happening in room 202 or whatever it was as people were getting healed. People were getting set free. The gifts of the Spirit were flowing. People were getting filled with the Spirit. This is all happening in our teenagers because they're saying yes. Revival happens when someone says yes. Revival happens when God stirs our hearts. So where are we at today? Is God stirring our heart? Because I can tell you this, and I'm going to tell you something. There's one thing I really want to address today that I believe is one of the biggest revival killers. I believe the biggest revival killer is pride. See, pride, we can define pride in so many different ways, but pride is simply, I know best. I know better. Pride is self-righteousness. Pride is, is so many things. And one of the ways I think about pride and, and to help describe it is years ago I had, uh, I was going on a trip and somebody uh, from our staff booked a hotel room for me and, they, and I get there and I show up and I'm like, have you guys ever pull up to some place and you're like, this isn't the right place, right? It's not, the, no, it can't be the right place. And you're checking the ad, you're like, this is the right place. So maybe it's just the outside that looks bad. You know, the parking lot's all cracked and everything like that. I go in and there's like funky pictures everywhere. It's just a weird smell. It smells like curry inside. And there's just, and I'm not kidding you. And so there's trim missing off the, the everywhere. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so maybe, maybe the room's better, you know? And so I get in the room, there's bugs in the room. It smells like curry, of course, too. And so finally get into the bed and it smells like curry. And so, which I like curry. I just don't like sleeping in curry. So, but I got, I had one of the worst nights sleep of my life. And I get back and I'm like, why did you book me in that room? And it was, well, the reviews were really great. You know, have you guys ever read the reviews and have you guys have sometimes not trusted the reviews, right? Because sometimes you figure out that some people will write their own reviews. Some people will have their family write reviews. Some people will hire other people to write reviews that aren't always the correct picture of the way things are. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. So I don't trust any of those reviews anymore. I'm like, I'm not, not going there at all. But pride for me, it's like kind of like writing your own reviews. Surrounding yourself with people who will write reviews for you. 
And even though you start off knowing those reviews aren't exactly the truth, you start to hear them long enough that you start to believe them as truth. And pretty soon you begin to think, yeah, I'm all that, right? And, and when it comes to God's work in your life, pride is one of the biggest killers of it. Because it's simply somewhere down deep, it says, mm, I don't think it's going to be that way. No, I'm too good for that. I've been there, done that. That's for other people. That's not for me. I, no, I'm humble in my own way. No, I'm serving in my own way. I'm doing it my own way. Is anybody seeing a theme here? It's my own way. No, I, that can't be God. That must be the devil. It must be pizza. It must be whatever. See, pride is a revival killer. And uh, it comes before bad things. Proverbs 16, 18, you know the scripture. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And do you realize that Satan fell out of heaven because of pride. In fact, many theologians and scholars will say that, that in essence, Satan was basically a worship leader, the head angel worship leader guy in heaven. And something happened where pride began to enter in. I don't understand all of it. I just know that's what the scriptures begin to tell the story of. And in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, we see a a picture of this, and many people believe this is a detailed uh, picture of this. It says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star. This is talking about Lucifer, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Why? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And watch this. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who will see, this, see you will stare and ponder over you and say, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? In other words, he had an inflated picture of how powerful he really was. But he started to believe the reviews. And he started to desire to be above God, or at least like God. And it caused a fall. Pride goes before destruction. Now, some people will say that, and there's, there's evidence in Scripture for this. I don't have time to open all this out. But some people will say that actually that Satan was a creature, like an angel creature that was actually designed in such a way for worship to flow through him to God. In fact, had these pipes built into his body that worship from all of heaven and from the angels would actually flow through him and make some sort of music or worship to God. And that was his role. And then sometime when, when the worship was flowing through him to God and making music, which, by the way, this is what, a picture of what's supposed to happen with our lives. You realize that, that worship is supposed to flow through us to God, right? It's supposed to make a beautiful aroma, a beautiful sound to the Lord. And this is what was happening. But at some point, Satan decided that instead of worship flowing through him to God, that he wanted to stop the worship at himself and to hold it for himself. And at that moment... He was thrown out because there's no one like God. There's no one that can be like God. And, and so whenever we hold on to worship that belongs to God, that's when pride is entering our heart and we're heading for a fall. 
Whenever we're, you know, that, that God is worthy of all praise, of all glory, and whenever we start to think, yeah, I did that on my own. Uh, I don't need God. I, oh, I, I don't need brothers and sisters in Christ. Whenever we start to go down that road, we're heading for a fall. But how many of you guys have ever found yourself, and maybe you find yourself here today, where you feel like, maybe I've kind of made a mess out of my life. Has anybody been there before? Okay, it doesn't have to be today, but just acknowledge that. And how many of you guys, sometimes when you find yourself in this place, and maybe you found yourself in an arrogant place, and you made a mess of your life, and you found yourself at this fallen place where you've kind of fallen into the mess you created. I've got good news and bad news if you're in that place today. I've got good news and bad news. You guys want to hear the good news? The good news is this. God can still use you in spite of your mess. How many of you guys know that's true? How many of you guys are thankful that no matter how messed up, we end up finding ourselves that God still can use us? Amen. I mean, you think about all these people in the Bible. You think about David. I mean, he was a mess, right? And God still says, you know what? There's something there I can use. You think about Noah, he, he messed up a few times, but God still found a way to use Noah. You think about, uh, I mean, you just go throughout the whole thing. Moses, you can just pick anybody. And how many of you guys know that God can still use people in spite of their mess? I'm thankful for that. But you ready for the bad news? The bad news is this. God can still use you in spite of your mess. Here's why that's bad. Because some of us think because we're still being used by God, everything's okay. And God uses us in our mess for a season. And that should scare us. Because I come across scriptures like Matthew 7, verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Like, God, we were being used by you. Did, did we not cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, God will use you in spite of your mess. And that's good news because he can take something and make something out of it. But some of us on the flip side of that, just because you're seeing some degree of fruit in your life, don't take that that everything's all right if it's not all right in your heart. Because God uses people. Why does he do that? I think it's because he has hope and he has grace and he has mercy and he wants to see us come to repentance and he'll still use us even in that. And I think it's because God loves other people and he wants to reach other people. And as long as people are being reached, God will even use impure people in their heart if, if, they're, if, if they're still preaching the gospel. In fact, I can see that in Philippians 1.17 where it says, those others who don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and will continue to rejoice. So there are people that God uses in spite of their mess. And many people are helped and touched. But woe to the person whose pride has hardened their heart towards God in it all. And, and, and that only lasts for a season. Because there comes a point when, when pride will shut us down so much and our heart will be so hard. And so what I, what I want to do right now is some of us, we do, we're like, man, Sean, you're preaching this pretty heavy. But, and you may be thinking, I'm not near to that point, even though I know some of you are. But some of you are on the front side of this. 
And you can recognize the, the signals in your heart where you've let pride come in and you've seen God do a work in someone else and you've kind of had a, a cynical heart towards that. That's pride creeping in. And, and when we see God at work and we say, no, that's not for me, or no, that was a different day, or man, maybe if I were younger, if I were older, if I were more qualified, or if I d- didn't have this job, and we begin to, to, to have pride creep into our heart. And so what I want to do, only for those who are serious about it, I'm going to take, I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to bind up a spirit of pride. And if that's you, just enter into that by faith and let's just deal with this right now. So God, right now, we thank you that you are more powerful than anything. And right now, for anybody here in this place that they've seen pride creep in and drift into their heart, Lord, we bind that right now and we say it has no place in our heart. God, we want to see you stir our heart and to do that, we want to be free from anything that would say we know best. And we want to surrender all to the idea that you know best. So Lord, we just give you everything right now. We surrender it all. Erase all of the preconceived ideas that we have about how things should go that aren't your will. And Lord, we surrender it all to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And this is why this is important. Because so many times we miss out on what God is going to do because we just simply want to be entertained rather than stirred. And I saw this clip from Christine Kane. Some of you guys know Christine Kane or are aware of her ministry. And she must have been at like a, a worship leader conference or something like that because she keeps referencing this. But I saw this clip and I thought, man, we have to hear this message. There's something so important here. So let's watch. This is not The Voice or a reality TV show when we talk about worship leading, when we talk about any platform kind of ministry of leading the people of God. See, our churches all around the world are full of people that are still in bondage. You've got to wonder, with so much worship music on the planet, with so much much exposure to Christian music, to Christian sermons, to Christian television, to Christian radio, how on earth can our world still be in the amount of bondage that it's still in? How can people walk into churches bound week in and week out and 20 years later, still be walking in and out and still bound. And that's because we've got a whole lot of gifted worship leaders, but I'm not quite sure how many anointed ones we have. And there is a really big difference between gifting and anointing. A gift will fill a room. A gift will entertain a crowd. A gift will stir people up. But the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27, it is the anointing that breaks yokes and chains and bondages. And the only way you get an anointing is through crushing. But if we have a generation that doesn't want to be crushed, but would rather be paraded, then we will continue to have gifted people and we will not have anointed people. We need a generation that is willing to go into the dark room where the crushing happens and that's where the oil comes. How do you make new wine? You put the grapes in a vat and they are crushed. And God's not looking for more people to parade. God's looking for some that are willing to be crushed. And in the world in which we are walking into, God wants crushed people, not gifted people. And the degree to which you are willing 
to allow God to do what needs to be done in you is the degree to which God will use you and do an amazing work through you. There is a direct correlation between crushing and anointing. There is a direct correlation between ongoing crushing and ongoing anointing. It's just that we have a world that is so spiritually unaware, most congregants wouldn't know the difference between anointing and gifting. And so they think, wow, that's anointed. And it's not anointed, it's just gifted. Are you still in chains? Do you still have shackles that are binding you? Are there still addictions? Is there still brokenness? Is there still depression and anger and anxiety and confusion? Is there just bowing down to the culture of the world? Well, if that's all the case, you're being entertained by gift, but you're not being changed by anointing. And when you see what God's doing on the earth and the streams that He's aligning and the people that He's bringing together, it's because it's His anointing that breaks yokes and chains and shackles. And we need leaders that can discern the difference between when there's a moment happening that's a gifted moment and the difference between goosebumps and anointing. I don't need to go to a Christian concert to get goosebumps. I could get a secular atheist humanist to give me goosebumps with their gift. You've been to a concert where someone's really not saved, but they're so gifted that they hit a high note and you think it's the Holy Ghost and it's the devil. It's a problem when the church can't tell the difference between the Holy Ghost and the devil. That's a real problem. And so you can stand on a platform and lead and show your gift off, but that says nothing about your anointing. That's pretty good, right? That's not just for platform people, that's for everyone. And, and it's not talking about God wanting to crush your spirit or crush your soul, but there are some, how many of you guys know there's some things in me that need to be crushed? I need to go into the dark room where I'm with Jesus, sitting with Jesus for a while and letting him work on my heart. And, and this is for everybody. And I don't know where you're at in this. You can survive on your gifting or your personality or your charisma for a while, but there's a moment when you start to run out of God's anointing. Not because it's not available, but because you walked right out of it. You decided not to, to be available to it. You decided to walk underneath the, out of the umbrella of God's anointing. And, and so I've showed this, this picture before, but many of you guys have probably seen this online. Let's go ahead and put this up. How many of you guys have seen this online before? This is like the example of where it all started, like where Apple started, where Google started, Amazon, Mattel, Disney, Harley. It started in these, like a garage somewhere. And you, you think about how big these corporations and big these companies and well-known that they are. And just, it's, it's mind-boggling to package it, re, to repackage it all the way back down to the beginning and just to imagine some guy sitting in his garage with an idea that one day would be known all over the world. And yet, this is where it started. Do you realize that every major revival started very similar. It started with some guy, some person, in the dark room by themselves when no one knew and allowed God to stir their heart. And they just had God stirring up a dream in their heart, saying God, and they just said, God, I'll make myself available. You think about the first great awakening and, 
happening in the, the 18 or the 1730s and 40s, and you got guys like Jonathan Edwards who God had stirred his heart and he preaches this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And somehow these the, people were just cut to the heart. They said, Man, I've got to give my life to, to Christ. And it started this great awakening. And, and you had guys like John Wesley and George Whitfield, and they were preaching to thousands and hundreds and thousands of people were getting saved and coming to Christ. And it was just a wave of God's presence happening. But you realize how that started. See, this, this thing happened in the 1730s and 40s, but in J- January 12th in 1723, Jonathan Edwards had an encounter with God in what I would call the garage. <laughs> and he made a consecration to God. Let me just read it to you. It says, and he, he would repeat this many times over the years. He said, I made a solemn dedication of myself and wrote it down. He said this, giving up myself and all that I had to God to be for the future in no respect my own, to act as one who had no right to himself in any respect, and solemnly vowed to take God for my whole portion and felicity, looking on nothing else as any part of my happiness, nor acting as if it were. Something happened to him in the dark room. Something got crushed out of him. And out of that, years later, revival happened. You could think about the Second Great Awakening in the 1820s, and it lasted for a few years. There was a guy named Charles Finney. How many of you guys have heard of Charles Finney? Here's a guy, not very many people, but uh, let me tell you his story. He was, he was a guy, he was, he was a lawyer, I believe, that was very proud in heart. And yet God continued over and over again giving him opportunity until one day he was just so overcome by the stirring that God was doing in his heart. He's like, I've got to give my life to Christ. But he didn't want to do it where anyone would know. And so he went out into the woods and he decided that he was going to give his heart to Christ there. Finally, after being, being uh, you know, just God just coming after him and coming after him. And so he went out to the woods. He's like, all right, today is the day I'm going to give my life to Christ. And he began to, to start to pray. But then he heard the wind blowing some leaves and he thought maybe somebody was over there. Maybe somebody's watching him, and he was insecure about that. He didn't want anybody to see him, and so he went even deeper in the woods, and the same thing happened again. And then all of a sudden, he was so convicted by such pride in his heart that he yelled out, and he gave his life to Christ. He was never the same. He broke off pride off his life, and throughout the the different years that happened through his ministry, miracles would happen, conversions would happen, unbelievable stories would happen. Like 500,000 people came to Christ in this wave of the second great awakening, but it happened happened with some guy by himself in the woods on his knees. Somebody went into the garage. Somebody went into the dark room. Somebody said, God, I don't need you to stir everybody else. Stir me. You think about the Azusa Street Revival in 1906 and William Seymour. He Just a group of people just started getting on fire for God and a wave of the gifts of the Spirit were released, speaking in tongues and gifts of the Spirit were just revived back to the church in a way that hadn't happened for a while. And it started this revival that was stirring and stirring, but it started with somebody who said yes, somebody who said yes to God. You think about in 1904, I believe, over in Wales, there was a guy named Evan Roberts. He was 26 years old. He, he was in a church service, much like you're in today, without the technology. And he's in the service. And he hears the preacher at the end say, oh, God, bend us. 
And he went up to the altar and he made it personal. He said, oh God, bend me. And he began to, to just be consumed with the stirring of God's heart. And then he went and he asked the pastor, he said, can I preach? Which, by the way, don't do this. And he asked the pastor, can I preach? <laughs> and the pastor said, yeah, you can preach after the Wednesday night service is over. <laughs> so they had Wednesday night service and now's your chance, Evan. So he got up and I believe it was 17 people stayed. But he preached the fire of God that was in his heart. And over the next five months, 100,000 people came to Christ. If there's something in you that doesn't want that, I don't know why you're here. You either need to get saved, or I don't know why you're here. Because that's the heart of God. He wants to see a stirring, people coming to him. And in that time, when, when this revival was happening, the judges had no cases to try because everyone was getting saved. They, they, had, no, they, they had no robberies. They had no murders. They had no uh, burglaries during this time. Uh, the, the police force had 17 people in the police force, and they, they, a reporter came to them during this time and said, well, what do you do with your time now that there's no crime to keep track of? They said, well, we used to just be where the crowds were, and now the crowds are at the prayer meetings. Can you imagine that? Crowds at prayer meetings. We're going to see it, by the way. And they said, we go there. We send four or five people there. And I said, well, what do you do with the rest of them? With the rest of your police force? And they said, well, there's 12 of us. So we divide it up into three quartets and we sing at all the church services. <laughs> and that's what they did. Over the months, drunkenness decreased, cut in half by 50%. Illegitimate births, 40%. There was, I mean, there was a slowdown in the mines that were working in the area. It wasn't because the miners stopped, getting, stopped working or got lazy. It's because they had cleaned up their language. They had got saved and cleaned up their language, and the mules and the horses pulling the carts had to be retrained to listen to their new language. And some of us hear a story like that and we're like, man, that's crazy. But I want to just put this, and I pray that this seed gets planted so deep in you it can't get dislodged. That what God has done in the past, he can do again. That what God did for someone else, what God did for Jonathan Edwards, what God did for Charles Finney, what God did for William Seymour, what God did for Evan Roberts, that he could do for anyone that would say, I'm willing to go into the dark room, I'm willing to get in the garage, and I'm willing to meet with Jesus. I'm going to have the worship team come back up as we close. And as they do, I'm going to tell just one last story. Because this is where it gets personal for me. I have four brothers. And my dad, when we were little, he bought this commercial building downtown in this little town of Osborne, Missouri. <laughs> and it was like a 3,000 square foot commercial building that used to be a funeral home. Had one funeral in it. We used to eat under the lights right where that casket would be, and uh, true story. But in the back of it, um, it had been many things, but in the back of it, he decided that he was going to build each one of us a bedroom. And so there wasn't enough, a lot of space, but he built each one of us an eight-by-eight, eight-foot-by-eight-foot eight bedroom. And in that, he built in a, a wood bed to put a mattress on, a desk that was built in, and then a little two-foot-by-three-foot closet that didn't have a door, just had a hang hook. And it was nice because, I mean, when you have so many brothers, you just, like, if you got any space that's your own, it was nice. And so he had just a little bit of floor space and then a bed and a desk and a closet. And 
And I, I didn't even have a door on the closet. I had like this blanket on the closet and to be the door. And, and I read one day in the Bible, and I'd read it before, but for some reason it just hit me. And I read that you go into the secret place and you go into the closet and you pray. And so I had to be, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, and I decided I'm going to go into the secret place. And so I wanted to make it even more secret, and so I just covered up, and I made this little tunnel from my bed underneath the desk into the closet so that no one would be able to see me going in. And I went in, and I can't tell you how many hours I would spend in that closet just reading my Bible and praying. And people would walk by my room, and no one would know where I was at. But I was in the closet. I was in the secret place. And I can tell you, it was in that time when I said so many yeses to God. I said so many yeses to God. And so that I, I just wonder if some of the yeses that I said then are now bearing fruit today. Because, see, I knew that I was called to do what I'm doing right now when I was 12 years old, which is very, very different than a lot of people, but I think it probably has a direct connection to me being in the secret place, in the dark room, in the garage, if you will, of my life. And I just hope that there's a hunger on the inside of you today to get that back. Because I know it's stirring in me to get that back. And I just pray that maybe somebody today with pride would come off and a yes would rise up. And so can we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment and let the Holy Spirit work on us? God, stir our hearts. God, we repent of our pride, God. God, we just say, bend us. Not bend the culture around us. Not bend the people around us. Not bend our circumstance. But bend us on the inside. And I saw as I was praying for this week, I saw some people just taking their chair and kneeling down on it and just turning it into an altar and just releasing pride. If you feel like that's you, just go ahead and right now just... Turn your chair into an altar and allow God to work on your heart. And ask God once again to say, God, stir my heart again. What you've done in the past, you can do. And listen, if some of you guys have some moments in your past where God was moving in great ways, I want you to understand he didn't just leave that back there never to touch again. He wants to do something fresh. He wants to do something new. He wants to do something again in your heart. He wants to revive something in you. He wants to do something in our city, in our area, that I just declare that people will be talking about all over the country because of what God is going to do. And there's some of us that are going to be a part of it and have a front row seat, and there are others of us who are going to be comfortable with the prosperity of our life and miss out on what God wants to do. And God, I want to have a front row seat. I want to have a front row seat. And God, I pray that there'd be many people here that would say the same thing. 
Lord, we want you. We want you and nothing else. Stir our hearts. Break our pride. Revive us. Revive us again, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.